Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 8. The last Sunday that I spoke with you, I shared with you a message from Isaiah chapter 43 about God having plans for you. We shared that since before the sun or the moon or the stars existed, that God knew each of us by name. Can you imagine? People talk about how old the universe is, but the universe is not as old as God's plans are for us and his thoughts for us. Like it blows my mind how large and how big the universe is. When you talk about billions of light years away, billions, that blows my mind. Before the universe was created, older than the universe, older than the stars, are God's thoughts and plans towards us. Isn't that amazing? If he's been thinking about us that long, he's got some good things in store for his church. He's got some good things in store for his children. He's got some good things in store for his people. If he's been planning about it for billions of years for eternity, if we have been in his thoughts and in his heart and in his mind. So as we talked about that last week, I got another word for you today and believe it's from the Lord. And that is this, that God is going to take care of you. We're going to give you some more background. The book of Isaiah. Remember chapters 1 through 39. God talked about the judgment that was coming upon the people. The people were rebellious. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They would not listen to God's word or his command. And so God pronounces judgment upon his people. He tells them what's going to take place. In chapters 40 through 66... There's a word of comfort and redemption for the people. God promises and he writes to them to encourage the Jewish remnant that's going to be delivered from Babylonian captivity after 70 years. He's writing to them 150 years. 150 years before, or 140 years before this ever takes place. It would be like someone from the Civil War sitting down and writing about whenever the stock market falls, and whenever the towers fall, and whenever Barack is elected, and whenever this takes place or that takes place. 140, listen to me, get this in your hearts. 140 years before they ever needed that word of encouragement, God already spoke it to them. And I want to tell you this. What I found in my life is that long before I need the word of encouragement, God's already spoken it to me. He's made promises to you. Now you forget them. You lose track of them. But he's spoken to you in times of prayer. He's spoken to you through prophecies, through words of wisdom, through words of knowledge. You've been reading your Bible and you've read a verse and it stood out to you and it screamed in your face and you're like, oh, yes. And then all of a sudden life comes at us. Life comes at us and somehow we forget that promise that God made. 
But I want you to know, 140 years before these people ever needed to hear this word, God had already placed it in their hearts. He had already wrote it down for them. And he's done the very same thing for you. If you will stop and just take a moment and think about the things that God has already said. Again and again, my friend, he's already spoken to you about the things you are experiencing now. He's already spoken to you about the things that you will experience next week and the weeks and the weeks ahead. If you look at Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 through 8, it says, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, Let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. We need to underline that in our Bibles. There is no other rock. There is no other rock I know not one. I want to read the same portion of scripture to you from the message Bible. It says, but for now, dear servant Jacob, listen. Yes, you Israel, my personal choice. God who made you has something to say to you. The God who formed you in the womb wants to help you. Don't be afraid, dear servant Jacob. Jeshurun, the one I chose. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and send streams coursing through the parched earth. I will pour my spirit into your descendants and my blessing on your children. They shall sprout like grass on the prairie, like willows alongside creeks. This one will say, I am God's. And another will go by the name Jacob. That one will write on his hand, God's property, and be proud to be called Israel. God, King of Israel, your Redeemer, God of the angel army says, I am first, I am last, and everything in between. I'm the only God there is. Who compares with me? Speak up. See if you measure up. From the beginning, who else has always announced what's coming? So what is coming next? Anybody want to venture a try? Don't be afraid and don't worry. Haven't I always kept you informed? Told you what was going on. You're my eyewitnesses. Have you ever come across a God, a real God other than me? There is no rock like me that I know of. 
Father God, I pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would open up our hearts so that we can hear and that we can receive what the spirit of the Lord would say to us today. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. I want to talk with you about God will take care of you. On my notes, put God's miraculous provision. That God's going to provide for you. And when we think of provision, a lot of times we think of just material things. But I want you to know today that God is going to take care of his church. He's going to take care of his people. And whenever we face trying times, whenever we face times of difficulty, like the children of Israel were going into, God has already spoken and told us that he's going to take care of us. Why is that? The first reason that God is going to take care of us is because of the relationship. We're going to talk about the relationship. Israel was in covenant relationship with God. They entered into a covenant relationship with him. Now, once you know this, they often broke their part of the covenant. They often messed up on their responsibilities. And yet we serve a God who remains faithful. Many times throughout their history, again and again, they entered into covenant with God and yet they would break the rules of that covenant, and God continued to remain faithful and in covenant with them. Twice in the first two verses, God calls them his servant. And twice God says to them, you are the one he has chosen. The title my servant is an honorable one. Some people say, my servant, what did he mean? Like God was talking down to them? Well, let me tell you some of the people in the scripture who were called my servant. That was a title that was given to leaders, such as Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was a title that was given to David, one of the greatest kings that ever lived. That was a title that was given to the prophets. And that was a title that was given to the Messiah. My servant. And so when God spoke to them as his servant, it was a term of honor. Servant defined what they were by the grace of God and by God's design. They weren't just God's servant by chance. That was God's design, his calling upon their lives. God chose Israel. He redeemed them and he formed them for himself. The creator, and he talks to them about that. He talks about their mother's womb. God formed them, and he formed you and I for himself, for his glory. You know, sometimes whenever people look at themselves, they have these things that they don't like about themselves. There's things that people look and they say, I wish I was like, and we find this person or that person, and we say, I wish I was a little bit more like them. But friend, you and I were created in the image of Almighty God. We were designed specifically for his purposes. He placed within each of us gifts and callings and abilities that were unique to us. They were unique by God's design. You are not made the way you are by chance. God designed you exactly the way he wanted you to be. It's almost like a pieces of a puzzle. But can you imagine that each piece of that puzzle, what would be kind of fun is just like to take out two or three pieces. You're like, where is this? Where is that piece? Did you ever notice 
that the pieces of the puzzle, each of them are created in a specific way and they fit just exactly where they're supposed to go. So it is with us. God has created us. We may say, well, I want to be a corner piece or I want to be an end piece or I would like to have been this shade or that shade. But God knew what he was doing when he created us. He says that he's Israel's creator. He formed them in their mother's wombs and they were created by God for his glory. Not just for your pleasure. Not just for your own enjoyment. But we were created to bring glory and honor to God. And you know, there's a lie from the pit of hell that we need to address today. And many people have believed it. You see, whenever they have an issue with sin, many people will say, well, God made me this way. God gets blamed for all kinds of issues and situations, doesn't he? If we have a temper, we say, well, that's just the way God made me. And everybody has to kind of fall in line with that. People who have addictions will say, well, I, I guess God just made me that way. People who are tempted with lust or homosexuality, they'll say, well, God made me this way. Friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God created us for his honor and for his glory. You see, if God made me that way, then I'm justified to do whatever I want. But I seems Richie. Obviously, I was designed to be rich. That does not mean that I get to go to the bank and take what doesn't belong to me. That doesn't mean I get to come up to your wallet and pull out your wallet and take out whatever's in there that I would like. Well, my last name's Richie. Surely God meant for me to be wealthy. And these other attitudes that people have that somehow, if they're tempted in some way, that obviously it's God's fault. God's to blame. Friends, you and I need to hear the word of the Lord. James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. Sin, when it's full blown, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. There's a lot of people who say, Pastor, I used to be afraid of that, but I went ahead and did what I wanted. And look at me, nothing happened. Oh, friend, you haven't seen the death that your sin and my sin has brought. The death that it brings to relationships. The death that it brings to your peace. The death that it brings to your joy. The death that it brings to the visions and the dreams that you have. When you and I allow sin into our lives and we give ourselves over to the flesh like the Israelites did, there's a death of a lot of plans and purposes that God had for our lives. Those things begin to wilt up and to die. Just because you're still breathing. Because you haven't gotten hit by a truck yet. Some of you look over your shoulder because you know what I'm talking about. There's times whenever we give in to our flesh, when we give in that sinful nature, and you know that you're wrong for doing it, but you go ahead and you give over to the sinful nature, and you look around and you say, well, nothing happened to me, so God must be okay with it. No, he's not. With the children of Israel, he wasn't okay with it. But it brings death, not just a physical death. A lot of times it brings that. 
But not just physical death, a spiritual death, a dying inside. In the past, the sin of Israel had brought that death into their lives. They were unhappy, they were unsatisfied. They lost their joy, they lost their peace, they lost their victory. They lost their victory long before, listen to me, they lost their victory in their hearts long before an enemy came in and ruled over them. Do you hear that? They lost their victory in their hearts. They lost the joy in their hearts long before there was an outside expression of their defeat. They lost that as they began to give themselves over to their flesh and to what their flesh desired. Their sins had separated them from God. But in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, just a few verses earlier, listen to what God says to them. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God says it don't have to be this way any longer. I don't want us to live this way. I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll remove your sins. I'll remove your iniquity for my name's sake. And I won't remember them any longer. I want to say this to you today. If the Lord has forgiven your sins, if you have confessed your sins before the Lord, if you've forsaken those things of your past, and God has forgiven and forgot about them, why can't you? If God's able to cast your sin into the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to remember it against you anymore, why do you allow the enemy to keep bringing those things back up onto the shore of your life? Why do you allow him to keep breathing those accusations against you? If God has justified us, if he has redeemed us, who can bring an accusation against us? God tells them that he speaks to him and he says, I'm your helper. And you don't need to be afraid. Then he calls, he calls him Israel and he calls him Jacob and he calls him by the name Jeshurun. And sometimes when we read over these things, we're kind of like, You just kind of zoom through them. Jeshurun means upright one. This is 140 or 150 years before the people are going to need to hear it. And God calls them upright one. Wow. If you looked at what was taking place at that time, they were giving themselves over to idolatry. They were living in sin. They were living in a disobedience to the Lord. But God calls them upright one. You see, God sees you and I for what we're going to be. Other people may have labeled you in the past. And isn't it funny that by the time we're probably three or four or five years old, we already have labels on us. When children are in first grade, they already know their place in the pecking order of life. Have you ever noticed that? By the time they're in kindergarten or first grade. When I went to elementary school, I was five years old. In essence, I started a year early in first grade. And mom's a wonderful mom, but she didn't do a whole lot of preparing us for school. Some parents are like playing times table tapes in their kids' rooms at night so that the kids know their times tables and all this stuff. But I remember, I told you, when I was in like first or second grade, I was in remedial reading. I was a year younger. It was hard. Later on, I did very well academically. I did good. But in first or second grade, it was really hard. And and I didn't know that I was dumb. I told you this. I thought I was okay. 
But I looked at all the other guys around me who were in my group. You know what I mean? And I looked at the other group. And, you know, by association, I was a smart little guy. But I, I didn't know I was dumb until I saw all the guys that I was with. And they were all dumber than blocks. So I realized, wow, I guess I'm, uh, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Huh? There's something about a little child that they kind of, that life or situations or what people say kind of puts a label on and you just kind of know your place where you fit in. And some of you have been fortunate enough to have someone speak really cool things into your life when you're little. And that's moms and dads and grandmoms and church people. When you see these kids in the church, man, we need to love them. We need to encourage them. We need to cheer them on. We need to believe in them. But there's a lot of people, there's been labels put on you from the time you were a little child. And somehow you just feel like it's stuck. Someone may have called you dumb or someone may have called you ugly. Or someone may have said something mean to you. Or someone may have said you can't. And so somehow that little label has been stuck on you. Whether it's true or not, that's what you've been labeled. And somehow in people's hearts and in their minds, it kind of sticks there. There's those things where people will say, and sometimes in our heads and our minds, but in our hearts and our minds, some of you have called yourselves, you just say, well, I'm really not much of a Christian. I'm really not much of a leader. I'm really not that spiritual. I'm really not that important to God. All of these labels that we've somehow allowed to be put in our lives, and I'll just say this, there's going to be a, a big recall one day. Because there's a lot of people who've been mislabeled. And you've lived according to the label that's been put on you. But God says, he calls them upright one. Wow. Upright one. That's incredible. 150 years. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to listen to what God calls you get quiet before him get in his presence and allow him to call you by name allow him to speak to you you know a lot of times a lot of people are afraid to hear from God because they're always afraid that he's going to accuse them of something friends that's not his job that's the devil's There's a lot of people who will not go into the presence of God and move into intimacy with God because they're afraid that God is mad at them and all he's going to do is point a finger and accuse them. And so Satan keeps them away from God and whenever the presence of the Lord begins to come, they'll be his servant. I'll do whatever, they're like the prodigal son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to live in your house. Just let me live on the back 40 and let me be a servant for you. And they're content to do that, but God will not allow you to do that. He says, no, bring them on in. Kill the fatted calf. Get them a robe and a ring for their finger because my son who was lost is found. But we have to move beyond that point where we believe the enemy's lies about us. God calls it like he sees it. And he always sees right. Listen to what God calls you. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the restoration. Israel was in bad state. They see the state of their land. They see the impossible situations that are going to lay ahead of them. Everything's going to be in ruins. 
Their cities are going to be torn down. So much difficulty. The promise of the restoration is found in verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on a dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. I don't know about you, but I noticed a few weeks ago that my lawn was a dark green lush color. I like that. It looked great. But when the temperature rises and rain is scarce, it only takes a couple days to wilt the grass. Have you ever noticed the same thing in your personal life? There are certain times, spiritually, when you feel so alive. Have you ever noticed that? There are certain times that God's presence is so thick in your life that you can just reach. You don't even have to reach out and touch it. It's all over you. Everywhere. You're like, ooh. Everywhere I go, his presence is. The glory of the Lord is upon you. The blessings of the Lord are all over you. Your heart is alive with faith, with hope, with God's spirit. And sometimes just one event, one comment, one piece of news, one phone call later, and we feel so dry and barren and hopeless. Have you ever noticed that? One day it looks like our life is green and lush and blessed and favored. And the next moment, it's as if we're in a dry, barren wasteland. And we're saying, God, where are you at? What have I done wrong? What's going to happen to me? I want you to listen to the I verses that God says. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendant. Who is saying that? God is saying, I will. I will. I will do it. You don't have to do it. I will do it. In this portion of scripture, God promises to restore them to their land, to bless the land, and to reign over them as king. If we'd have time to read all of the surrounding portions of scripture. There are some folks here today who need to be reminded of God's promise of restoration to them. Let me say that one more time. There's some people here who you need to be reminded of God's promises to you. His promise of restoration. You may be in a dry and desert place, but I'm telling you by the Spirit of the Lord, you better get ready because it's going to rain. I'm telling you by the Spirit of the Lord, you may be in a dry and thirsty place. Your lawn may look like it's a desert, but I'm telling you, get ready. Like the prophet told the king, he says, you get ready. Hitch up your chariot because it's going to rain. There was only a small cloud in the distance. But he knew that the rain was coming. And I want you to hear today by the Spirit of the Lord that God says to you, get ready for the rain. He's going to pour out water on him who is thirsty. The Word says he's going to pour out floods upon the dry ground. Is there anybody today who would just say, Lord, send the rain? 
I just want to say, Lord, just go ahead, Lord. I'm ready for you to send those times of refreshing upon the land that we live in. Get ready for God to pour out water on you who are dry and thirsty. Get ready for him to refresh your dry land. But friend, it does not stop there. Oh, it's good when God brings you through and God gives you a new job. Oh, it's a time to rejoice. Those of you who have lost your jobs, it's good when God brings you through and he provides a job for you. That's God pouring water on the dry ground. It's good when God restores the relationship between you and your spouse. Some of you go through times in your marriages or your relationships with your kids whenever it's a rocky time, it's a difficult time, and God intervenes and he restores peace and refreshment to your relationship. And you just stop and maybe you're stressed about your marriage song right now and God's going to bring healing and refreshment to your marriage. And you know, maybe you've been fighting and stuff going on and you're just like, oh God. You know, when God brings in the rain, when God brings refreshment to your marriage, you're like, oh, thank you, God. It's so stressful to go through those times of resentment and, and difficulties in your marriage. For some of you, it's good when God defends you against unjust criticism. That's a desert place. People have been criticizing you and picking you apart and saying things about you. Someone's been treating you harshly, not showing you the appreciation that you deserve, overlooking you. And when God steps in and vindicates you, it's like God refreshing us. Oh, it's wonderful when he defends us from unjust criticism. But there's something more than that. God is going to pour out his spirit. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your offspring. God's not going to just help you to fix the brakes on your car. Some days that's a big deal, right? I mean, let's be honest. Some days the brakes on our car are a huge deal. It takes energy and life out of us. Or God's just not going to remove annoyances from your life or give you a better job. He's going to pour out his spirit and his blessings on your life perpetually. When he talks about your offspring, he says, I'll pour water on the thirsty ground and land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. God's going to bless not just your kids, but your grandkids. He's going to pour out a blessing upon your descendants and the generations that will follow. That's going to be a good thing. Do you see that? He says, I'm going to intervene in your life. I'm going to refresh you. And these areas of your life, they're just taking the joy out of you. These worries, these concerns, these anxieties that you carry. What God is saying, I'm going to take care of you perpetually. This is not just a one-time thing. There's a lot of people who are satisfied with God doing this one-time thing. And they're thrilled with that. Oh, it's like, oh, God, you fixed my brakes. Hallelujah. Until the next time your car needs new tires. And then we're all stressed out again. Right? Isn't that how we go through life? Finally, the response. God is going to prosper them. And they're going to flourish. And then the response they will spring up like grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. 
God's going to prosper you and you're going to flourish, he says. These are to a people 140 years before they need the word of encouragement. He says they'll resign themselves to God. They will say, I am the Lord's. This is what their children are going to say. Their children are going to say, he has an incontestable right to rule over me. I submit to him and to all his commands. I am and will be his, holy, his only, his forever. And they will incorporate themselves with the people of God. They will call themselves by the name Jacob, forgetting their own people and their own father's house. They will love all of God's people. The promise of all this can be found in the last portion of the scripture in who God is. That's where it's found. It's not found based upon my circumstances. You see, because a lot of times I judge things based upon the circumstances that are going on around me. Any of you ever do that? Like I think I'm in God's will when everything's gone really good. And then like the next minute when I don't get my way, I'm thinking either that I sinned, that I did something wrong. Any of you ever struggle with that? Like where did I fall short? Did I not hear you, God? Are you ticked off at me? Is there sin in the camp? I want you to know God's not near as fickle as you and I are. The word says his anger lasts a moment. How long does his favor last? A lifetime. Some of you are anxious and nervous about things that are going on in your life. I've got a promise for you. Remember, for billions of years, he's had you on his mind. So he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. He's not surprised by what the markets are doing. He's not surprised by what your kid did. He's not surprised by what your coworker did. He's not surprised by what the other church member did. God's going to take care of you. Despite what happens around you, he's going to take care of you. And the people in the past had been trusting in these idols. And if you'd read the rest of the chapter, God compares himself to the idols. And what are the idols able to do? He says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer. The Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is, yet, it is to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. The promises that God made to them to care for them are based upon who he is. Do you have another rock that you can go to? Is there any other place in your life that's stable? Oh, I'm blessed with a stable family, and I'm blessed with good friends and a great church and some wonderful things, but that's not the rock that I can hold on to. There's no other rock. There's no other rock that I can just firmly hold on to that will never, ever be shaken. There's none. I know not one. Church today, I just want to encourage you. God knew 
the situations you were going to face this afternoon billions of years ago, and he's not changed his plans. Can you trust him? Can you depend on him? Can you walk in faith and trust and walk without fear and discouragement and know that God is going to take care of me? Why? Because I'm his. Because he picked us. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He made you for his glory and his purposes. How about we walk out of here today with that assurance that I belong to him. And not only that, not only is he going to take care of my needs, the car that needs fixed, the oil bill that needs paid, credit card bill that you got to take care of, the hassle on your job, the difficulty with a friend. God's going to help you with those things. But for generations, as you follow him, favor is going to follow you. Did you hear that? For generations, as you follow him, his favor is going to follow you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have us in your care. I ask you as we leave this place today, Lord, that the glory of the Lord would rest upon us. Let your peace fill us. Let your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.